Welcome to Soul Path Alignment with me. I'm your host, Tanya Stupar. I'm so glad to have you here. And in this episode, I'm going to go over the seven universal laws of Hermes Trismegistus. But before we really get started on that, I want to answer the first question you all probably have. Who is this character with the weird sounding name? Well, the most important thing to know is that Hermes Trismegistus is really just a mythical figure. Even his most famous writings, the Emerald Tablet, don't really exist. So we don't know who wrote these books. But the legend is that the Emerald Tablet did exist, and it was written to help people understand our connection to the divine. It reminds me a lot of the Kabbalah and its Tree of Life, which the tarot is based on, by the way. People were just trying to make sense of the universe, like we're still doing today. The universe is mysterious, and there are things that we haven't been able to figure out with our five senses, like the origins of the universe, and life after death, and what even is the meaning of life? Probably the most popular idea that comes out of the Emerald Tablet is the seven universal laws. And we'll get to that. But first, let's break down the name. So Hermes is referring to the Greek god, and Trismegistus means thrice greatest in Latin. And this is just the name that people gave to this figure during the Renaissance period. But the figure itself and the ideas of the seven universal laws go way back to ancient Egypt. Hermes Trismegistus has always been associated with the deity of knowledge, wisdom, and communication. So that would be like Hermes, the messenger god, or Mercury, as the Romans called him. In ancient Egypt, it was Thoth, you know, the one with the bird head, like an ibis. When we consider that speech and writing have the power to influence all of society, then we can see how this deity has always been associated with magic. And I'll tell you why. The word for a magic spell itself has the same root as the word spelling. And it's like the famous Saul Alinsky quote, he who controls the language controls the masses. And where this can be most useful to us on the personal level is to understand how our own internal dialogue, our own language, our beliefs, and how they affect our feelings control what happens in our life. So hopefully that's giving you an idea of how important this deity was to people in ancient civilizations and how the seven universal laws are really just spiritual concepts that are so old they can't be attributed to anyone. It's sort of like King Arthur or Odysseus. We don't have proof that these people actually existed, but we know that people like them did exist and that their stories are telling us the spiritual history of the world and what mattered to people. And we can see the influence that the seven universal laws have had on world religions, such as ancient Vedic spirituality, which was the precursor to Hinduism and Buddhism. So now I'm going to get into the laws. And just know as I go through these laws that as I explain them, that's just my attempt to understand them. It's suggestions and not any kind of definitive interpretation. Okay, so the first law is the law of mentalism. The all is mind, the universe is mental. 
And this is meaning that everything that we see and experience in life comes from an invisible source. And there's a single universal consciousness from which we all arise. And what this means to me is that number one, we're all connected and God or divinity, I like to call it source, is an all one God. There's no father God that rules over people. This is like unity consciousness that says ultimately we're all one. And number two, since everything is coming from an invisible source, that also means that everything we see around us is just a manifestation of our mind or consciousness. And it's not the real reality. It's an illusion, kind of like the dream of our soul, if you can imagine that. Alan Watts described it as like, if you were God and you could dream any dream that you wanted, eventually you would get tired of having this same dream all of the time, which was you just having all of your desires fulfilled. And eventually you would put a little challenge in there. And then eventually you would put more challenges in there, greater and greater challenges until eventually you would dream the exact dream that is your life right now. Okay, so number two is the law of correspondence. As above, so below. As below, so above. And what this means is that since everything comes from the one source, there's no real separation between anything in the universe. And there's harmony between everything that exists, physical, mental, and spiritual. And what this means to me is that the same patterns exist inside of us in the smallest electron of our body as in the largest galaxy. And we can learn a lot about life and ourselves by viewing ourselves as part of something bigger rather than seeing ourselves as separate from creation. Also, once we can see the patterns, like the Fibonacci sequence, and the golden ratio, or I'm thinking about the really cool patterns around the number nine, like how single digit multiples of nine all add up to nine. I'll be honest, I'm someone who struggles with math, but I can still remember being in the third grade staring out the window as we were learning times tables and noticing this pattern on my own in my head. That was fascinating to me. That was like the fun part of math. And I think we can learn a lot by considering how those same patterns repeat themselves on different levels. Like what can they tell us about ourselves? What does it even mean that the human body has symmetry? We're dual natured beings. It brings up all kinds of fascinating questions that help us to have self-discovery and awareness. Okay, so number three, the law of vibration. Nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates. And this means that all of creation, everything that exists, is made out of pure energy, vibrating at different frequencies. Things, thoughts, and feelings are all made out of energy. So first of all, everything, everything is made out of energy. Science has proven this. 
But the larger implication here is that our thoughts and emotions, which are also made out of energy, will have an effect on our surroundings, our body, other people, basically on all of our physical reality. This is like the law of attraction that people talk about. The idea that your energy, your own internal emotions are actually attracting your circumstances to you. Your own energy is literally creating your reality. Your energy could potentially affect an electron all the way in another galaxy. According to the phenomenon of quantum entanglement, or what Einstein called spooky action at a distance. Gotta love Einstein. All right, so before we jump to number four, I need to interrupt myself to explain a key difference between the first three laws and the last four. So the first three are called immutable. They're eternal laws that will never change. To me, this is really important distinction because it means that the laws that will never change are telling us about who we are in source, where we came from, what we're returning to when we transcend. You might even say that the meaning of life is the growth and expansion that we experience by transcending the last four laws. So with that in mind, let's move on to number four, the law of polarity. Everything in creation is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. So this means in the spiritual realm, all is one. But in the physical and mental realms, we experience consciousness through the contrast of duality. Pleasure versus suffering, light versus dark, unity versus separation, and so on. So to me, this means that we really can't understand anything unless we observe it relative to what it's not. You can't know pleasure without knowing pain and so forth. The way that Alan Watts describes it is like how a person can't see itself with its own eyes. And so us, being the universe, had to enter duality to be able to see itself. And we could break down all of physical reality into opposites. And I have a question to get us all thinking about this. If you were an all one consciousness, how would you be able to know what that unity felt like unless you became separate and experienced loneliness? You couldn't. And we can just imagine all the other things that we get to know quite intimately by living in duality. The reason why this fourth law is so important is because it helps us to accept and even appreciate our suffering so that we can work with it and grow instead of fighting against it. Ultimately, we would appreciate suffering and pleasure equally. It reminds me of a sutra that I just read. I've been going through the Radiant Sutras with my sister. She sends me one each day. And the one that we read today, actually, says this. Your richness of experience is the wine you offer to the divinity that is everywhere. So when I don't like something and I can't change it, I can at least understand that my experience is an offering to the universal all-one consciousness 
And it's what I came here to find out. It reminds me of another quote from Abraham Hicks. It's not exact, but it's something like, your higher self was dying to come into this moment. Exactly how it is. Believe it or not. All right, so moving on to number five, the law of rhythm. Everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. And rhythm compensates. So what this means to me is that we all experience our greatest growth and expansion by moving back and forth through the contrast of these dualities that are talked about in the fourth law. And also that enlightenment happens as we come back from these extremes into alignment with source frequency by practicing balance and learning to walk through life in the middle way. I think it's really important to add that when we're not in this middle way, like when we're feeling depressed or afraid, for example, the emotions that suck. It doesn't mean that we're failing or that we're not on our spiritual path. Not at all. It just means that we're being challenged. Maybe we became ready for an even greater challenge than ever before. So never get discouraged or think that you're somehow behind if you're experiencing emotional yuck. And I want to mention what I see as being one of the most foundational dualities in all of life. The one between desiring and just accepting what is. So Lao Tzu refers to this balancing act as the way. And the Tao Te Ching, hence, always rid yourself of desires in order to observe its secrets, but always allow yourself to have desires in order to observe its manifestations. So basically, he's saying, want things, but don't want things. Give a shit, but don't give a shit. Okay. Well, he goes on to say, these two are the same, but diverge in name as they issue forth. And being the same, they are called mysteries. And he calls this mystery the gateway to the manifold secrets. So this law of rhythm that life is requiring of us to practice, like a tightrope walker, toggling between dualities, never being able to completely rest in one or the other, never being able to come up with an exact formula to tell anyone, let alone ourself, what it is we're supposed to be doing at any given time. We can't quantify these things, and we can't judge other people's path in regards to this. It's mysterious, and we all need to find our own rhythm. And personally, I think that's the whole point, that we find the answer by experiencing it firsthand. It's like if your friend takes a trip to Hawaii, they can show you pictures, they can tell you about it, bring you back a souvenir, but you don't know what it feels like unless you go there yourself. And Lao Tzu said that the way that can be spoken of or named is not the eternal way. Okay, so number six is the law of cause and effect. Every cause has its effect and every effect has its cause. 
Every single one of our thoughts, feelings, and actions is a vibrational cause which will result in an effect. Therefore, to become the master of our destiny, we must bring the unconscious mind into awareness. So scientific studies say that 95% of our actions are being determined by our subconscious mind. I think it's hard to grasp the full implications of this, but if we go back to the law of cause and effect that says every single thing that we do, even just on an energetic level, is going to cause something else to happen, this means that our subconscious programming is controlling our life. Everything your family taught you as a baby, everything you learned in school, everything you learned from watching hours and hours of Spongebob, all that shit, a lot of it is cultural and ancestral and it's handed down. We have a lot of power to create a new, better world just by practicing and developing more mindfulness. I would say it's probably even our greatest power to create a new world. So that would be like practicing meditation, developing emotional EQ and regulation, rewriting any tired, old, dysfunctional thinking scripts that we got from our family, finding ways to be less reactionary and more intentional about our thoughts and goals and behaviors. And this is like Neville Goddard's law of assumption that says, what we assume to be true is what we will eventually manifest. Probably the most important way this law affects our life is in our self-image and if we love ourself or not. Do you have unconditional love for yourself, for your body? Do you think you're fucking amazing? Anyhow, that's what we're shooting for to attract our best life. And we're shooting for it because it's the truth. It's the truth of who we are as divine beings. As a matter of fact, whenever we devalue ourselves in any way, we're just living a lie. And it's our job to get back into alignment with the truth of who we are as a divine being. And that takes some radical, unconditional self-love. Okay, so for number seven, the law of gender. Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Everyone and everything contains both feminine and masculine qualities from plants and animals to magnetic poles to sound. And we're not talking about physical gender here, like man or woman. We're talking about the universal concepts of femininity and masculinity, which do have characteristic qualities. So I'm going to name just a few of them so you can get a very general idea of what we're talking about here. So feminine energy is receiving, it's trusting, flowing, emotional, and intuitive. Whereas masculine energy is giving, service-oriented, 
directed, logical, and analytical. And what's important to know about this law is that people have dual-natured minds. We all have both genders within us. And we come into alignment with source frequency when we balance the masculine and feminine within. And this is what Carl Jung called the anima and the animus. And he said that we all have the opposite gender within us. So I have strong opinions about this. I'd say that up until this point in history, people have been trying to find balance between the genders by trying to force men and women into their respective roles and usually having some kind of idea that's given to them by their culture or religion around what it means to be a virtuous male or a virtuous female. But I have a prediction that in the new age of Aquarius, the gender wars are going to be resolved through each one of us, men and women both, and not by people becoming androgynous and something in between, but by each one of us getting into alignment with our own internal anima and animus. And what's been happening up to this point is that Men look for the feminine outside of themselves and vice versa. Women look for the masculine outside and another person in relationship. And the problem is that if you're dependent on another person to give that to you, then love for you will always be conditional. It will always involve power dynamics. Not only that, but if we haven't found the healthy version inside of ourself, we will keep finding the unhealthy version in our partners. And if you're wondering what the healthy versus unhealthy versions look like, I'll definitely be revisiting the subject in a future episode, so stay tuned for that. And that's it for the seven universal laws. One thing that really stands out to me about them is that the ideas are nothing new. They've been around forever, and yet we're still learning the concepts today. It's like the lessons have always been there. The knowledge has always been there for us, but it's taking us millennia to experience it and make sense of it and integrate it. Consciousness sure moves slowly. It reminds me of pregnancy. Some of you can probably relate. The last few months feels like fucking forever. Like one of us has to go like now and it's not going to be me. It's agonizingly slow. And so nature moves slowly. And then sometimes all of a sudden fast like Pompeii, like an erupting volcano and changes everything permanently, finally, in just a few moments, or like when a baby is finally born. A lot of people have been talking about a new age that's coming, even going back about a hundred years. Aleister Crowley, just for one example, was predicting a new spiritual age, and he called it the new eon, and even named one of his tarot cards after it. He said that femininity will be revered. The way that I typically hear this talked about as with some kind of idea like women will be put on a pedestal and men sort of taking a back seat. Um, 
and masculinity taking a back seat. But I actually don't think this is true at all because it's not what I've seen in my dreams. And what I've seen in my dreams is masculinity becoming more powerful than anything we've ever seen before. And I believe it will happen because of masculine dominant people finally getting in touch with their own internal feminine and finding that balance that allows them to really act out of unconditional love and to embody the healthy versions of both feminine and masculine. And then balanced masculines will no longer have a need to scapegoat the feminine in the world. And in relationships and and within themselves um like how masculine people will sometimes think it's ridiculous to have emotions or to pay attention to intuition all of that is going to change and masculine people will instead be using all of their power to protect and support people who are dominant feminine so that they can safely and freely unleash all of their intuitive, witchy, creative powers into the world. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. And my main point is just because it's slow going doesn't mean that big change isn't going to happen soon. And as it's all happening, the seven laws are one of our important playbooks. So thank you for listening. If you want to connect on other platforms, I post regularly on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on both at Tanya Stupar. And I'm also going to include a link to the podcast in the podcast description where you can download the free PDF book booklet, Soul Path Vision, that teaches you how to create a vision for your own life to manifest your wildest hopes and dreams, and then how to pare it down into manageable steps to make that shit happen. I do visioning with clients all the time, and so it has all my best tips for success. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. This is such a great time to be alive, guys. I hope to connect again soon with another podcast. And blessings to you all. Bye.